0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning to you. If you have your Bibles, uh, this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that's going to be on page 955 in the black hardback Bibles in front of you uh, under the seats. If you need those, please take those. Uh, If you need that, uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning or you would like to give someone a Bible, take that as our gift to you or to them. We also want to remind you, as we have for the last two weeks, this sermon should be considered PG-13 for strong sexual themes. Um, it, there, there won't be any cursing, though, so the PG 13 rating kind of has a little bit of flux, you know, uh, potential there. Uh, but we want we to wanted definitely uh, let you guys know that we believe that it is good and right for the church uh, to, to discuss the issues of sex, gender, and sexuality. We who were made in the image of God, which Scripture rightly attests to, should not be hesitant to discuss these themes. But we want to make sure that all the parents are both aware of our content today and uh, prepare for what we're going to be speaking about. But I also want to encourage you as a parent uh, to, to be one who is willing to step into these things, to, to offer these discussions and these sermons as launching off points for conversations with your student about the issues of sex, gender, and sexuality. So if this is your first Sunday with us, or this is the first time you've heard this. There are two sermons prior to this that deal with uh, similar topics and issues. Uh, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those over these last couple of weeks. Uh, but that being said, this is the last sermon in our series that will come with a PG 13 warning. All right, you have been warned. No one is leaving. Let's get started. Sexual intimacy is on the decline. Believe it or not, in an increasingly sexualized culture and world, according to a 2015 study, which is a 20-year report, people are having less sex. This is true across the board from uh, the the teens that they they sampled up to senior adults. The frequency of sex has declined, uh, and we need to understand why this is the case. I believe one of those reasons and major contributors of the decline of sexual intimacy is the loss of purpose and design of sex in our modern culture. And we, as the church, are not exempt from the guilt of this. The church should be discussing these things. Parents, our role is to help shape the ideas of sex and sexuality and gender for our children from a biblical perspective. Worldview. For far too long, we have allowed magazines or subscription TV services or the internet to inform uh, and corrupt our minds and ideas about sex and sexuality. We've allowed sex to become a a dirty word and idea in the church when, in fact, it is one of the most beautiful, God-given, God-glorifying things. Sex is, in essence, God's idea. With all of its pleasure and with all of its satisfaction, it is a good and perfect gift. And like all gifts, uh, it has an intended purpose from the giver of this gift. So we should therefore redeem the idea of sex and be willing to break out from our own hesitancies to discuss it. And always be willing to discuss and share how we can combat against sexual immorality or the misuse of sex. So let's turn now uh, and listen with open ears to this book that we love. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should not marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Jump down with me to verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, you have given us our bodies, and as the psalmist says, you know our frame. You know that we are dust. This is why this day, along with every other day, we are utterly and completely dependent upon your grace. Father, our minds have been corrupted by the sin of this world. But you are the one who transforms the mind by the renewing of your spirit within us. So, God, renew our minds and hearts even now, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at three aspects and three things from our passage that relate to sexual uh, stewardship in singleness and marriage. So, if you thought this was just about marriage, don't worry. Singles, we love you, we got you. Uh, but we're going to look at these three things. First, uh, the corruption of sex. Secondly, compensating for sex. And third, the true communion of sex. So let's look at the first one, the corruption of sex. We know that uh, from, from Genesis 3 that sin entered the world and its effects uh, are, are literally unrestricted, corrupting everything. One of the things that sin has corrupted is the gift of sex. What corruption does is it takes something that is good and it makes it ultimate. We see throughout the Old Testament that sex was used and abused. Uh, Samson with Delilah, David with Bathsheba, Solomon with 300 wives and 700 concubines, and and it's no different today. There is uses and abuses of sex. Corruption itself, if we were to look at the, uh, the concept of corruption, is the process by which something is changed from its original use or meaning to one that is regarded as erroneous or debased. And so when we talk about the corruption of sex, we are changing it from its original purpose and design, which is the good gift of God, Uh, and changing it to fit our own corrupted states. As we talked about last week, uh, as Christians, we want to pursue sexual fidelity. And sexual fidelity would be defined as what God has designed and instructed the use and purpose of sex to be. We want to pursue this, but the issue is that sex has been corrupted. And specifically for all of us who are Christians, we need to both realize this and also address this in our own tendencies uh, in the culture that we live in, being faithfully present in that. So look with me again at verses 1 and 2 of our passage this morning. It says, now concerning the matters in which you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Paul is, after six chapters, getting to the, the questions that the church of Corinth actually had. He spent six chapters up to this point dealing with issues that they didn't write him about. right? He spent six chapters dealing with issues that either they were too embarrassed to write about or they were naive about. So he takes now this first question, and it was a question about the issue of uh, sexual relationships between a husband and a husband. And wife, or men and women, um, and, and he he addresses this because one of the the prevailing views in the Greek culture in Corinth uh, was Gnosticism. It was one of the early heresies of, of their of their day, and there's there's aspects of Neo Gnosticism that even existing today. But Gnosticism, which was uh, found through Platonic thoughts so of Plato. Platonic thought where uh, was the idea basically that matter or anything physical is evil, but things that are spiritual are good, so we should uh, deny ourselves physical things. It was, a, it was a type of asceticism, like denying yourself physical pleasures and physical um, gratification. And of course, uh, as most things do, these ideas and these philosophies creep their way into the church. Because this was Corinth. It was uh, the, a major hub of Greek thought. Um, which, which was most likely the question then that Paul was addressing was something to the effect of if, if we are to deny ourselves, as, co- as Christ calls us to deny ourselves, right, and to, to take on Christ himself, uh, should we then deny all pleasures and live fully devoted lives to Christ, not just as singles, but as also as married people? So should we deny ourselves the, the gift and pleasure of sex Um, not just as singles, but even in the marriage covenant, if we're truly to deny ourselves. And Paul, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, answers them in in a very uh, gracious way, but also a way that would explain away the the heresy. He answers them in the affirmative. He says, um, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but in so doing, and with one word, he, he takes the affirmation and he also flips it on his head, on its head, and saying, um, "But you should avoid sexual temptation." And each man, each man should have uh, his own wife, and each woman her own husband. So he the sexual. He that the there was. He affirms that sexual immorality, the use of sex outside of God's d- prescribed design. Is wrong, and he will recognize that there is a great gift in being single. But but Paul continues, and when he continues, um, he it, he deals with the issue. Uh, truly, I, I think the the major focus of this first part of what Paul's saying in seven is, that, is to deal with the issue of temptation to sexual immorality. And he goes on to say that each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. And Paul knows that the temptation to sin and, and to sin sexually uh, was great. But he also knows that even in his own life and in Christ's life, uh, that Christ was tempted in every way but did not sin. Uh, but he did not hold this over the church of, of, of Corinth teaching them that, uh, that they should remove themselves from any physical interactions between husbands and wives. He would go on later to, to say here that they should not do that, but they do not have the, the rights to themselves, but they are to give themselves to each other. So he affirms, he affirms what they're saying that sex outside of the marriage covenant and God's design is sinful and wrong, but he will go on to say that inside of the marriage covenant it is a good and beautiful thing. But the main issue, again, that he addresses here is the issue of sexual immorality, which creeps up in both singleness and in marriage. And the word that is used for sexual immorality throughout the New Testament is the Greek word pornea. Pornia is where we kind of get uh, the base of our word uh, pornography. Uh, And pornography being the, the use of two words, the pornea, sexual immorality in graphia or writings, and so writings about sexual immorality or uh, some early translations would say like writings about prostitutes. And so this idea of sexual immorality, if we were to define sexual immorality, is anything outside of the sexual fidelity that God has designed sex for is sexual immorality. The abuse of or misuse of God's intended design for sex. Sexual immorality, is is not just like we don't see sexual immorality now as is it really any different than sexual immorality then we have just found new ways to commit the same old sins pornography in fact uh, is not new it it is old Um, and it's one of the reasons why sexual intercourse has dropped off in the last 20 years according to the research previously mentioned we've seen the rise of porn use, and it correlates with the decline in sexual intimacy. Britain's National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles reported in 2001 that people between the ages of 16 to to 44 were having sex more than six times a month by average. But in 2012, the rate had dropped to fewer than five times. And that's a nearly 30% decrease. Um, And uh, roughly over the... over the same period, Australians in relationships went from having sex 1.8 times a week to 1.4 times a week. This is, this is over a 10-year period. And Finland did a study. Finland's FinSex study found that declines in, intercourse, uh, declines in intercourse frequency along with rising rates of masturbation also contributed to the decrease in sexual intimacy between, uh, between people. From 1992 to 2014, the share of American men who reported masturbating is, um, in, a, in a given week doubled to 54%, and the same share of women more than tripled to 26%. When we talk about the impact of pornography, it is not just isolated in, an isolated issue with men, but is also becoming increasingly more common with women, which means this is really, truly a very cultural issue. Uh, in terms of statistics, uh, both men and women, 73% of women and 98% of, of men reported using internet porn in the last six months. That's an average of 85% of people. With this increase of pornography use and decrease of sexual intimacy, um, we need to realize that pornography as much as it is framed as helpful for people, pornography is the enemy of intimacy. It is the enemy of intimacy. It is not the friend of intimacy. Just in marriage, Not just in marriages across the board, but this is literally singles, everyone. People who, who live... Um, free from from God's design for for sex and, and underneath his authority, everyone is experiencing a decrease in sexual intimacy. We've all traded the good gift of sex for a more convenient, lesser substitute. We're trading intimacy for experience, which was never God's design. You see, God is the God of intimacy. He is the one who condescended. He is the one who dwells with his people. And so we, as God's people, should be imitating God in our relationships. Yet, so many times we would rather image Satan, who desires experience over intimacy. Remember what he says to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, you will be like God. I'm going to give you an experience to have. And he also tempts Jesus in the same way. He, says, he tempts Jesus with power and prestige and authority which were things that Jesus already had. It was a a very, it was a weak temptation. But it was temptation nonetheless. He offers experience over intimacy. Ultimately, he offers something that will never satisfy. A cheap substitute that will weigh and measure us and find us wanting. So Paul, rightly, not saying that sex is sinful, but he is saying that sex outside of the design of God is sinful. It is corrupted. It will never meet its, its full potential and will ultimately never satisfy us. And yet we try. We try. We've, we've With a corrupted view and expressions of sex, uh, we compensate then for the longings of our flesh. And we find these in counterfeits. So now we'll look at uh, our second point this morning, compensating for sex. Compensating. Because sex has been corrupted by sin, our human tendency is, try to, is, try, is trying to like, make it work for us. We're trying to, to use something in a way it was never intended to and, and trying to make it work in a way that is helpful or good for us. Um, which, is, which is really, it's never going to work, if I could just be plain and honest with you. It, it's, it's never going to reach... The, the potential that it needs to. It's never going to hold the ideal. It would be like me dressing my three boys in all white outfits and sending them outside, expecting them not to get dirty. They're coming back with stains, people. like We have something good and pure and perfect, and yet because we have a corrupt view, um, we ultimately will need to compensate for that. Um, even in the church, we've been compensating um, for the issues uh, of sex uh, with, with not having honest conversations but looking these things over. Um, issues of sex and sexuality have been traded out for hyper-moralization. I remember uh, even being in a youth group and going through like true love weights, um, seminars and rallies where we talk about chastity. Um, and they would talk about the, the evils of sex and, and how dangerous it was, and we'd talk about STDs, and they'd show you pictures of those things and trying to, like, scare the idea of sex into you. Um, but we, we really need to fight against the temptation to avoid this as Christians. We need to fight against the temptation to avoid the, the conversations, the hard and difficult conversations about sex, gender, and sexuality in the church, we, we, this, these need to be more frequent and common conversations and things that don't make us cringe a little bit when the words sex or sexuality or masturbation come up. These are real issues, real issues of sin um, and real issues of God's goodness that we need to deal with. We need to know the difference between the two. As, as many premarital counseling and, and counseling uh, conversations that I've had with, with people... Uh, over the years, uh, I've had so many that have struggled with the idea of sex because either they have not been talked to or given a perspective about sex from a biblical worldview, or it has been painted as this evil, dirty thing. And you can imagine, uh, and maybe this is the case for you, if you can imagine for 20 years, 24 years, you hearing constantly that that um, you know, sex is sex is bad. Sex is corrupt. Um, we don't need to talk about these things in the church. These are these are topics that are, are are crude, and we we just need to avoid them. And then you you get engaged, and you get married, and within like a 24-hour period, you're supposed to go from sex is evil and dirty to I'm supposed to do this now. And I'm supposed to enjoy this. And there are so many who reach this point of marriage and all of a sudden they don't know what to do and they lose the gift of sex. They lose uh, potential intimacy and they have issues coming together and this creates a grand, uh, massive issue in their own marriage and relationships because we have not talked about the good gift of sex and how to use it well within the design of God. And it is difficult to, to see uh, the church respond poorly to this. So I want to encourage you as the church to step into these things. So we have these issues of how we've uh, corrupted and we've comp- we're compensating for the issues of, of not talking about sex with, with shaming sex. Uh, we also compensate in ways that uh, are just flat out uh, immoral. And we talk about the ideas of people who are Uh, addicted to pornography and and the people who are addicted to pornography inside of the church statistically are almost identical to the people who, uh, the the numbers are almost identical of people outside of the church who are addicted to pornography. Uh, We have corrupted our views of intimacy and we compensate for it in our own ways, um, unwilling to do the hard thing and and have conversations about our own addictions, about our own uh, issues of intimacy Again, we've traded out um, sometimes the difficult, um, energy-laden pursuit of each other in marriage relationships for a more convenient experience of uh, of pornography and masturbation. And these are deep issues that require to the church uh, to speak truthfully on the amount of psychological torment and guilt and shame that has been placed on people because of our own fears and laziness to address these issues is shameful. Church, we must do a better job of talking about these things, about being honest about our own shortcomings, our own sin, our own proclivity to, to not pursue intimacy or the fact that we've pursued intimacy in, in, in inappropriate ways, but, but coming to a place where we can be honest about those things is, is so helpful. We need to, we need to truly step into um, an honest and, and beautiful repentance in this area. And we need to elevate the idea of sex to a place, uh, to its appropriate place. We need to elevate the idea of sexual intimacy within the covenant of marriage to a place that is, that is holy and right and desirous for those who desire these things. John Piper, um, who I'll quote a couple times today, wrote a book called uh, it's Momentary Marriage, which I'll recommend to you. There's uh, that, and then The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller are really helpful resources, uh, as well as, uh, I think Matt mentioned previously, Java with Julie, which is a podcast. So, those three resources have been really helpful to, to shape discussions around um, this idea of, of sex and sexuality inside of marriageness and singleness. So I want to encourage you to those. But, but John Piper said this. He says, Woe to me if I do not celebrate the great gift of sex and marriage. It is something to be celebrated and pursued. It is something that we as the church need to, to, to elevate to its rightful position so that we can see it for really what it is and what God designed it for. And it is for the marriage covenant, which is why Paul continues to say, in 1 Corinthians 7, 3-6, he says this, The husband should give to her wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Do not deprive, or uh, the word there deprive can also be translated into defraud, do not deprive one another, except for perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. In the, in the marriage, the compensation sometimes is, is that, um, that sex doesn't become the priority, Uh, or sex becomes too much of a priority, which can lead to abuse and sexual immorality. Paul is saying both to the husband and wife, you each have equal rights to the marriage bed. It is not just the husband who initiates these things, but the wife has her rights as well to say to the husband, uh, these things, this act of sexual intimacy is something that I want and I want to pursue and, and honestly, for a, uh, for a culture that really did not value women, what Paul is saying here is very profound and, uh, and if you will, ahead of his time. Um, what happens then uh, when there's a lack of intimacy in the marriage? Uh, what happens when uh, the marriage relationship lacks physical, uh, sexual intimacy? it does lead towards, as Paul refers to in verse 2, it leads towards sexual immorality or the temptation to sexual immorality. And the ways that sexual immorality can impact a marriage um, is through uh, use of pornography, uncontrolled lust, uh, adultery, both emotional and physical. Uh, Now these things are not always the end of a marriage and, and, and thanks be to God for his restorative work and power in that. Um, but, the, but in order to, to work through these things, humility and repentance and faith must be present to overcome, um, overcome these, these great hurdles. Um, and, and, and time, time is also a necessary component to, to overcoming these things. Um, but the warning against sexual immorality is for our good. The coming together and what coming together does is, is the binding and fusing, which we'll talk about in our, our next point. But Piper also says this about, uh, about the issue of intimacy in marriage, that, that faith increases the joy of sexual relations in a marriage because it frees us from the guilt of the past. I have in mind here those who are married but have looked back on an act of fornication or adultery or incest or homosexual fling or years of habitual masturbation or preoccupation with pornography or promiscuous petter or divorce. And what God says is this, if if it genuinely lies within you by the grace of God to throw yourself on the mercy of God for forgiveness, then he will free you from the guilt of the past. He will make new, clean sexual life possible in marriage. And so if, if these things have crept into your marriage, into your relationship, these issues of pornography or lust or adultery, I want to give you hope, I want to point you to uh, to Christ um, for you who are are experiencing brokenness uh, or shame or guilt um, both in marriage and or as a single person because of your past, there is hope for you. Um, his name is jesus and paul in, 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 ch- in the previous chapter in chapter six uh, wrote about this he says those those who were sexually immoral and idolaters and, and adulterers and those who practiced homosexuality, you who were thieves and drunkards and greedy and revilers and swindlers, you, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, and you will be glorified. There is, there is hope for you. Church, We, uh, so many of us have stories of, of the corruption of sin in our lives. And and thanks be to God that no matter the sin, whether it be drunkenness or homosexuality or or adultery or greediness, that we have hope in Christ, that we have a new name in Jesus, that we have um, a a future with Christ for the forgiveness of, of sin, the power and presence of sin, and this is possible because of Jesus. Now there are implications of our sin. And, and Paul says, even here in, in chapter 7, there may be a time where it's necessary for you to refrain from sexual intimacy in a marriage or relationship. Uh, maybe it's because of something that uh, has come up in the relationship, a, a, a new sin. or Maybe it's an old sin that, that you both need to work through. And he says to, to devote yourself to prayer. Right to devote yourself to prayer, to to growing uh, and and restoring these things in your marriage, and this would be a good time for those who are experiencing some of this to remove themselves from the from the marriage bed together to pursue uh, spiritual intimacy with Christ and each other. But as Paul says, pro- this is this is this is for a season. Now, there's not a definition of like what a season is. Is it a couple months? Is it, is it a year? I think that's something that the, the couple needs to work through. But this is, this is not to be a perpetual thing. To remove yourself from each other is not good. But if, but if physical intimacy is is lacking or missing in your relationship, that is not something that you've agreed upon. Um, speak openly and honestly about it. Maybe there's something that you need to confess. Maybe there's a sin uh, that you need to put out in the open uh, to your spouse and ask for forgiveness for and repent of. Um, maybe there's, there's just a, a need for good counseling. Uh, maybe there's a, um, a physical issue that needs to be addressed uh, from from a medical standpoint. Maybe a, you need to get a doctor involved in it or get medication for something. Um, but there, there also may be real physical disabilities, which will prevent you from physical intimacy. And so I would encourage you if you're experiencing um, issues that are physical that cannot be treated and cannot be uh, talked through with a counselor. If there's a physical disability to do so, uh, intimacy is not. Uh, it is not something that you will never experience. You can experience intimacy in a different way. Uh, there's emotional intimacy through through. Uh, Touching and, and holding hands and kissing that you can still participate in. There's spiritual intimacy in the ways that you can grow together. I know of a couple of couples who are uh, um, who are pursuing it that way because of the physical limitations of, of what exists in their relationship. And so, spiritual intimacy is another way for us to to bind ourselves closer together. Paul clarifies um, this concession on marriage, where he says that. Um, you, to remove yourself for a little time is okay, but, but, but do not do this for a long period of time because it will lead to uh, sexual immorality. And sexual immorality can be present both as, singles, uh, as married couples as well as singles. Which is why he continues to say in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul is still dealing with the implications of sexual immorality. And now he comes around to those who are single either by choice or by providence. God will elaborate, uh, Paul will elaborate more and later on the gift of singleness, but here he encourages all of those who do not have a spouse to avoid sexual immorality. Avoid for yourself the, the sins of lust and pornography, of physical and emotional adultery. Because it, it leads to the idolatry of these things. And, and Tim Keller says this. He says, Idolatry and slavery go hand in hand. Idolatry leads to slavery and slavery to idolatry. It's this cycle that will continue. And slavery to these things is what happens when we compensate for the other areas that are lacking in our lives, whether they be uh, uh, spiritual intimacy with Christ, like uh, uh, being honest about our relationships with each other, the need for friendship, um, our own pride, we will sometimes fill those things which are with something that is that is easier, which is pornography or uh, or relationships that are um, that are filled with like sexual promiscuity, and these things, unfortunately, can come around to define us. Uh, but uh, but this is but like I said we but we do have a hope. Um, you are not. You're not tied to these things. These things are not the definition of who you are, whether they're things that you've committed in the past or currently pursuing. Um, through faith and repentance, um, you too can be forgiven and it does not have to have authority over you. So if you are single and you're struggling with these things, again, I want to I encourage you to pursue intimacy with Christ to pursue forgiveness, to, to talk to someone, uh, get someone who you can be accountable to, to talk through these things and work through healing and restoration. Because truly, we want to pursue communion with Christ, which is our last point this morning, is, is the true communion of sex. And how do we steward sex well? Because marriage, um, sex inside of marriage is, is communion. And Paul will will go on to say in verses 32-35 through that he wants us to be free from anxieties, but that each person, the the married husband and wife are consumed and and are torn in two ways because we need to be pursuing each other. We cannot fully devote our entire lives to Christ as we need to pursue uh, each other. But the single uh, and the unmarried and the widowed uh, can devote their lives fully to Christ without this commitment to another person. He calls this a, a div, an undivided devotion. Um, and inside the, the marriage covenant, sex is, is not the point of marriage. As much as we want to lift up and make much of the great gift that sex is, but it is not the point of marriage. It is, though, the physical, tangible reminder of the covenantal commitment to one another. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is the physical, tangible reminder of Christ's covenantal faithfulness to us. The Song of Solomon uh, is a book filled with deep themes that, and, and expressions of love and intimacy, and it contributes to the full orbed biblical sense um, of sexual ethic that embraces the goodness of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman when it is, in, when is, it, when it is expressed in, in a, the appropriate context of the covenantal relationship between husband and wife communing together. There are reasons to hold back intimacy in marriage, which we've discussed. Um, but to withhold this in the marriage permanently uh, points to something that, is, that, is, um, that could be uh, wrong. Uh, a, a greater wrong that may exist, a greater sin that may exist. In the same way, you should not withhold yourself from the Lord's table unless you are unconverted and not a professing baptized Christian or unless there is an unrepentant sin that needs to be confessed or if you're under church discipline uh, and you have been told to be, be uh, removed from the table for a period of time. Sex, again, is not the point of marriage, and to a degree, communion is not the point of Christianity, but both point to the reality of the true covenantal communion that we are a part of. The ultimate thing that we can say about marriage is that it exists for the glory of God. That is, it exists to display God. now we see how marriage, pattern after Christ's covenantal relationship, his, uh, his redeemed people, the church, and therefore the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. And we do that. When we commune with Christ, um, we put that on display in our lives. Uh, it reflects into our lives. And, and when we commune uh, inside of the marriage covenant, we put that on display for others. Uh, and singles and singleness um, is more uh, communion with Christ. If you are single and not looking to get married, um, you are in good company. Uh, Christ Jesus is in the same company as you. Paul is in the same company with you. Uh, there are those who are given the gift of singleness, but unfortunately, we have we have done a poor job of seeing this as a good gift inside the church. Uh, we have we've been unfaithful in seeing singles as the as, uh, as gift to the church and what they are uh, able to do and, and, and pursue in the kingdom of God. One commentator said this, Paul takes Jesus' exhortation even further, encouraging the believers at Corinth to seriously consider lifelong singleness because spouses are divided in their loyalties. writing to serve the the kingdom, but also wanting to bless their spouses. Do you see what he is saying? In view of the radical, reorienting call to serve Jesus' kingdom, Scripture understands that mission is so worthy, it ought to be prioritized above the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Paul's concern is for the believers to maintain undivided devotion to the Lord. Above everything else. To this end, he encourages lifelong celibacy, although he freely acknowledges that it is not sinful to marry. So let me encourage you if you are single, do not think that your value or purpose is tied up in a relationship. If you are in Christ, you should take all of the time, effort, and energy to pursue Christ with all that you have. If you are not sure about marriage, or you don't think that marriage is for you, um, you are welcomed uh, here, and and we, as a church, need to do a better job of loving you and pursuing you and encouraging you. But if you are burning with passion for marriage and that that kind of relationship, we also want to encourage you in that way. Uh, But we want to leverage. I want you to leverage your singleness to the glory of God. So in conclusion, how can we be faithfully present? All of us, married or single, need to flee sexual immorality, repent, um, get it in the open so that Satan may not have a foothold, elevate the goodness and value of sex um, in the covenantal marriages, pursue true communion with each other, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, because marriage is God's doing. It is God's glory on display. Value and encourage faithful singles as they devote their lives fully to Christ. Get around people who are single. Encourage them. uh, Pursue those to to leverage their lives for the sake of the gospel and to promote good and right encouragement and safeguards for them uh, and to not see them as second-class citizens but those who are able to give their full uh, attention and devotion to Christ. These are good things for us to discuss and consider. Uh, And thanks be to God that he loves us, every part of us, every one of us. Let's pray. Father, give us uh, grace today to hear hard things from your gospel. Give us courage and faith to be honest about our own sin and corruption. God, help us. God, help us that we who are called by your name should be the first of those to admit our own sin, to seek forgiveness that is freely offered to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Strengthen our marriages, strengthen our faith in you, strengthen the gift of singles and singleness among us, uh, that we may all devote our lives fully to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.